and welcome to Annersbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annersbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Uh, welcome. Welcome to everyone joining us on the link. Uh, my name's Graham. If we've never met, my name's Graham. My wife, Rebecca, and I are husband and wife. And so um, we've got five kids, uh, none on the way. And uh, so yeah, it's good. I became an uncle during the week. My youngest brother, my other brother's here, and my sister-in-law, we became uncles and aunties uh, again. Hey, and we had a baby. We had a baby. So good. Uh, baby Luca and uh, Richard and Marloose. So that's really exciting. And uh, it's their first child. They went through childbirth and said it might be their last. <laughs> See, is that good? My grandma once, my grandma was a Jesus follower, and she was praying one time for her eyesight, believing that God would heal her eyesight so she didn't have to wear glasses. And she knelt down beside her bed and earnestly prayed, Lord, I pray that you would heal my eyesight. And she said that she opened her eyes. As she opened her eyes, her vision began to somehow change and swirl. And so she was excited, saying, yes, Lord, more, Lord. And then she began to, like, things were unbalanced, but she thought that was a good sign. So she took off her glasses in some act of faith and realized one of the lenses had fallen out while she was praying. <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> it's true. She told me it to somehow encourage my faith. I don't know. <laughs> okay, we start, start a brand new series, as Jared said. Um, and man, I've really, I've been looking forward to this series. And if you're here today and you're a quote unquote Christian, and if you're here today and you're a quote unquote not a Christian, um, listen, I just, I'm really believing this series over this next little while is going to help all of us. Um, have you ever been to, um, oh, what is the series called? Ten, sorry, <laughs> 10 Things Christianity Isn't. And uh, we're not trying to err on the negative. It's just that over the years, I think we've learned how to define things by what they're not rather than by what they actually are. Have you ever been to Fiji? I, I had not been to Fiji. I saw a few hands. I um, had not been to Fiji uh, until I was, what age was I, 30, after, after I turned 30. And, uh, but my wife as a child had been a number of times. So when we got married, she made it pretty clear that, hey, it'd be so cool one day to go to Fiji and take the kids. And I thought, yeah, it'd be great to have a fifth mortgage. You know, that's what I thought. And um, anyway, um, a, a number of things took place for this to happen. And I wasn't that, I actually wasn't that keen. But when I arrived, as soon as I arrived to that balmy air, there's a scent and a smell. There is, a, there is an atmosphere. There is music awaiting you. Harmonies at, at the, at the uh, passport, you know, what I call it, customs. It just feels like a world. And I was only into like my half day there and I was trying to plan another trip back. It's like this whole thing got under my skin. And I, I just love it. I love the culture. I like the, I like, there's two Fijis. There are resort Fiji and there's real Fiji. And we made sure we did a wee tour of the real, real Fiji to remind our kids that having your bed made for you, you know, isn't just happening here at Fiji. It should stop happening at home as well. But anyway, um, and then we, met, we met these um, wonderful people and they would drive transport, you know, just the transport in Fiji is either going to take a bus and that may never arrive or you're going to get a transport 
um, company to take you. And this one guy we met, he was such a nice guy. And we had a three-hour drive up to the coast um, to go where we were going. And we got chatting. And I asked him about his life and I asked him about his family and asked about about his job. And then I noticed something. I noticed there were barely any police on the road. Like, if you're in Fiji, there's next to none. There's a few, you know, like military. There's a bit of military, but not that much. And I said to him, hey, I noticed there aren't many police. Have you ever been pulled over by a, by a cop? Like, have you been pulled over? And he began to tell me about, he said once or twice, but one, the, the main time that he remembers most was when someone pulled him over, a police officer pulled him over for doing 98. And um, he, he stopped him and he said, excuse me to the driver, you're doing 98. But the driver said, there is no way I was doing 98. I was looking at my um, speedo, that did not happen. And the policeman said, yes, you did. You were doing 98 and I've clocked you at 98. And so he said, well, I wasn't doing 98. That didn't happen. You need to prove it to me. So he insisted that he went back to the car and looked at the radar gun to see the proof. And of course, the policeman took him back to the car and passed the radar to him with the number 98 on it. The only thing was, he was holding the radar upside down. And what he had actually been clocked at was 86. So the, the gentleman said, um, that says 86, you're holding it up the wrong way. And he said, um, it's upside down. And the policeman said, yes, it possibly is, but I need a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so the driver took $5 out, gave it to the policeman and drove off. And I thought that was a pretty awesome story about how often as well, Christianity gets mixed up that we see it upside down sometimes. We see it the wrong way around. We, we would swear black and blue, it's one thing when it's actually another. And I think a lot of the times, even for Christians, we're looking at this thing the wrong way up, the wrong way around. In fact, to the degree that we forget that Christian, Christianity, the word Christian, wasn't even a word Jesus used. Not once in the Gospels do you read Jesus using the word Christian. Never happened never actually took place. The first time the word Christian was used, it was coined as a phrase from a group of people who weren't even Christians. A group in a place in ancient Greece, actually in Turkey, called Antioch. And these were the first people that ever came up with the term Christian. So Christians didn't even come up with the word. Jesus didn't even come up with the word, but they used it and then somehow it stuck. And so they were using this word uh, to describe this new breakout group of people who were gathering around new teachings and they left, these people were leaving the Jewish tradition and requirements. And for the first time ever, it's, it's, it's used, and I'll read you it, I'm gonna quote it to you in Acts chapter eleven twenty five. This is the first mention of the word Christian. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, that was the phraseology of Christians and disciples were the church, a gathering of, of people, just a gathering, a gathering of people, that's what it meant, not a building or a brand. And they taught great numbers of people. So this wasn't a flaky little kind of fringe going on. This thing was sweeping the then known world. And then it says this, the disciples, that's what they actually were, were, were called Christians first at Antioch. And that's the first mention of the word Christian. And actually, it had actually been coined by this other group. And what did the word mean? What were they describing? Well, a lot of scholars are divided. They're divided on whether or not 
it was meant as an insult or it was complimentary. They're not really sure. It's 50-50. But no scholar argues this fact that it has two inherent meanings, the word Christian. And this is what it means. You ready? It just means someone who's following Jesus. That's all it means. And the second part of the meaning means little Christ. So what they were saying was, we've seen a group of people, a new group, a new gathering, following a new way of teaching, a new way of living, and and we define them. This is how we define them. Are you ready? They follow Jesus. And in um, Antioch at this stage, a lot of them would have, some of them would have been alive when Jesus walked those roads of Jerusalem. Um, From what I can tell, he didn't go through Antioch. We know from what we've seen in history. But they were hearing the reports and the stories and the miracles and the wonders and the cross and and this alleged resurrection. So of their day, they heard enough stories to be able to say, we heard about Jesus and we know what he's like. And this group of people look like him too. This group of people look like him too. In other words, I'm going to describe it as one, a group of people who follow the ways of Jesus and the little Christs. <laughs> like that's who they are. And what's really, really crazy, what's really crazy about it, I asked on social media during the week for people's thoughts around what they thought people thought about Christians or Christianity, and even what people's friends thought about Christianity. And I got a whole heap of responses. And I know some of you were trying to reach me on MySpace, but guys, it's all over. And um, so if you're on Instagram, you'll know what I'm talking about. But here were the responses. Here were the general feedback. You ready? They kind of get bunched into seven groups. People thought when their friends think Christianity is just boring. That was a common thread. For wimps. One person wrote that, said it auto-corrected first as pimps. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was real. It's for pimps. Amen. <laughs> um, so, someone said Someone said they thought it was for idiots. I started to feel real built up in my faith at this stage. I was like, I am an idiot. There's no doubt about it. I prove it every Sunday. <laughs> um, four, homophobic. Let's move on. Five, judgmental. Six, this was a good one, gullible. And seven, for good people. I mean, generally, they could fit within those categories. And I thought to myself, man, haven't we got a long way from Antioch? Heaven isn't a long, long way from Antioch, guys, that the people around our world wouldn't say, oh, they're followers of Jesus because they inherently know what Jesus is like. Because now they don't inherently know what Jesus is like. In fact, we've got a bigger problem or an issue or a challenge, whatever it might be, that actually the biggest challenge is they don't know what he's like, so they have to find these other things to define it. And in some of those things, they don't even describe you. Like, I know you, a lot of you, and that is not who you are. And yet this kind of undercurrent, and, and by the way, I did some other study, and do you know that one of the greatest influences of Gen X or Um, that's not your generation, most of you, but people who are Gen X and millennials, the greatest education they've had about Christianity, do you know who it's from? Ned Flanders. There was a study and research showing that the greatest theological provider in the West now is the Simpsons. So that when people see Ned Flanders, they think it's a left-handed guy with a left-handed store doing really odd stuff. And then whenever he has things about God, God is weird as well. And so that's kind of where some of these things come from. But we've got a long, long way away from Antioch where someone would go, 
Jared, when I see him round, he's a little Christ. You know, I mean it in a nice way. <laughs> you know, you know, like you kind of like him and you kind of live like him and you kind of talk like him. And, and that's what he is. And guys, that's why we need this series. We need this series really bad because somehow the gap between what this is and what this isn't has got so blurry and so upside down that we think we're reading the right thing, but we're kind of interpreting the wrong thing. And I would, I would be amiss to tell you that I've not been affected by it myself. I, I've been affected by that misinterpretation. And, and we've got to come back to the roots of this. Uh, so I'm going to deal with the first one today. There's 10 that hopefully we'll touch on. It's kind of weird. It's going to be a three-week maybe-ish series. And to only do one this morning is a wee bit weird. But this one's a biggie, and some of these others um, kind of stem out from it. But I want to deal with this first one, and it's the one that would make people say, I could never go to church because the roof would cave in on me. And it's also the one that would say, I'm not a Christian type because I swear. Bloody oath you swear, you know? And that's just the church staff. (laughs) But what I'm talking about is first one. Christianity isn't just behaviorism. I think it's the first time I've ever used the word bloody. I feel weird place to use it. Behaviorism. I need to tell you that I get into trouble every now and then. Not, not real serious, but I've just got the streak, if you know me, uh, a slight edge. It's not too bad, okay, but it is there. And it can end up slightly awkward. Like, I got into trouble the other day um, for putting lawn clippings on the edge of an embankment near our house. Now, um, our house is houses on one side of the street and the other side is this beautiful reserve, but it's lined up by this creek and a bush line. And so for years, we've lived there for how many years, Beck? Ages. And so, like, over 10 years. 10 years. And so I have, it's just um, three reasons I do it. Number one is it's it's out of sight. No one can see it. Like it's just and I and I make sure because I also buried a cat there. So like I <laughs> anyway, I, I I buried our cat there and then I was like, um, but these law clippings, like it's very it's very like they're good, you know. I flatten it out and I make sure it's all good, you know, I do that and it's and it's good. But so the first one was it was out of sight. And the second reason was we pay rates. Like there's a lot of rates being paid. And I was just thinking there's an added value. You know, I just thought that's good. I feel like there's added value. Um, and three, I know it's going to help the climate. Because, because if I put it in plastic stuff, I can see blank faces and you're wondering who is this person. And so anyway, I've done it for years and years. And, um, and anyway, um, there's other people, guys, who don't share this logical view. It looks like all of you. But anyway, it was logical to me. And so we got a letter from the council 10 years into this. And by we, I mean all of our neighbours. And the letter basically goes, look, if you spot anyone throwing their lawn clippings out, um, you need to let us know. And so, and so Rebecca quickly visited one of the neighbours <laughs> and just said, hey, let's just keep this on the DL, you know. Let's just, <laughs> let's just keep this in discrepancy on the... Just, you know, um, I think she took some, you know, gifts or something. Um, but, I, 
But here's the thing. I need to let everyone know this because you'll be wondering at the end of the service. Um, I rang the council to admit it, okay? So because I just felt bad about the letter and I felt bad. And it was logical until suddenly I realized, this is so dumb. Why am I doing this? Like, like I, I know, it's a little bit of old school in me, you know? Do you ever remember your parents burning waste on the property in 44-gallon drums? You know that? I grew up in that era, not camp land. So I'm still in two worlds, you know? I'm in the law and grace. That's what I'm in. And uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, but I just find sometimes I have these tendencies. I do stuff like that every now and then. So does that make me a bad Christian? Maybe, because it's not practical. Like, could my behavior affect other people and could it affect my own life? Yeah, it could, definitely. But here's the big question, ready? Will it exclude me from the kingdom of God? And if I managed my lawn clippings well for 10 years, would that include me into the kingdom of God? Here's why I don't think it will. Behaviorism is the belief that it's our behavior and our conduct that determines whether we are in or out, whether we belong or don't. I'll reply, I'll repeat. Behaviorism is the belief that it's our behavior and our conduct that determine whether we are in or out, whether we belong or don't. And I'm pretty sure that every person in this room has a tiny little bit of behaviorism going on in their life. That because of what you do or don't do, because of the mistake you did make, or because you've kept your... Um, behavior on streaks. Do you know what streaks are? Like it's not streaking, obviously, but streaks is where you do them in enough days in a row that you feel good, morally good about yourself. And look, there are a number of scriptures to say that our good deeds, when we get in this right flow, will glorify God our Father. It will. But there are parts of our behavior and parts of my behavior and, and letters from the council, you know, all of that stuff. I, I wanna let everybody know that, that that's not Christianity in a nutshell. It's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't go around saying, hey, Graham, I saw what you did on Friday when you mowed the lawns and you are out. And so I prayed the next day super hard. And he goes, I saw what you did yesterday, you're back in. On the contrary, Paul, who was way worse than lawn clippings, way, way, we love to do that as Christians too. We love to have categories. We, we do it. I put myself about there, but Paul is like, ugh. Like, well, he, he wrote this about what Jesus says it is in a nutshell. He said this, For if by the trespass of one man, Romans 5, 17, death reigned through that one man, and a little bit of um, background, this is a reference to original sin, Adam and Eve, and the fact that there was a world, guys, without sin in it. There was a world without death in it. There was a world without destruction. That's pretty amazing. He said, so if by this one man, Adam's act, death reigned through him, he says, how much more will those, now watch this now, who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. He said, I know that Adam screwed it up for us all and death reigned. And we've been experiencing that since the beginning of time and his decision, sorry, his decision, not the beginning of time, his decision. But Paul says, I know you get that and I know you understand that, but how much more will life reign 
when people get, I'm, I'm now paraphrasing, that Jesus came to give you an abundant provision of grace and a gift of righteousness. Flip me, we need to know what that means if that produces life. You actually need to know, I need to know. Christianity in a nutshell are two significant pieces, grace and righteousness. Grace and righteousness. I've heard some people say, oh man, our neighbours, Sally and Mike, which aren't our neighbours, by the way, it's an analogy. They're such lovely people. Like their kids and their house. Oh, the feng shui is on point. You should see their dog. It's so well behaved. They ride e-bikes. Like they ride e-bikes. They're barely driving their car now. They would make amazing Christians. I've heard that. You probably even said that. You're like, my neighbours would make amazing Christians. That is 100% baloney. That's not even in the Bible. Like, like, like I get the sentiment. The sentiment behind that is, I so wish they knew about grace and righteousness. I so they wish they knew about Jesus. But behind that is saying, because the kind of people who've got it together, I reckon they'd slip into the kingdom so easily. And, and, and how flawed that is, because Jesus never actually found an easy way for Sally and Mike in the New Testament. Throughout all of what he was doing, Sally and Mike didn't have a good time. Sally and Mike were the ones who said, look at this Jesus going around saying that we need a grace and righteousness. I'm going back to my Jewish roots. I'm going back to my religion. Jesus had a better time with guys called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was not like Sally and Mike, no e-bike, no dog. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Um, He was a ruthless, horrible man. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That was his vocation. He would strip money from anyone and anything because he was, um, he was clipping the ticket. He got a piece of the action every time he took money. And Rome also were foreseeing this activity. So Zacchaeus has built his entire psyche, persona, his ethos on taking money from people. And he didn't care whether they were rich or poor. He went round. I imagine he was kind of, you know, he was, he was intimidating to some degree, in some way, whether it was swords or who he was, I'm not sure. But Jesus walks into town one day and Mike and Sally were sipping lattes. But Zacchaeus, he was like, what is this? Because I reckon that a lot of us, when we're dumping lawn clippings and when we're taking things off people we shouldn't and when we're doing stuff that we're not sure fits into the kingdom, I think there's a part of us that knows. Like I used to walk across the road with my catcher and I'd just check two or three times. <laughs> like I would. I just thought, I hope no one sees this. Oh, it's very convenient. You know, Zacchaeus hears about Jesus and it says that he climbs a tree to get a better view. But little did he know that grace and righteousness were about to front up at his house because Jesus saw this guy in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. We're gonna do lunch. You read it, Luke 19. A guy who you would presume would never be able to get into the kingdom. They have lunch. Jesus just full of grace, full of righteousness, does this number on Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus' life is transformed. And do you know what Zacchaeus says? I'm in. Whatever it's gonna cost me, I'm in. I've never found grace like this. I've never found righteousness like this. I have never done that. What do grace and righteousness mean? Grace simply means 
undeserved or unearned favor. A lot of people mix mercy and grace up. Mercy is not giving you what you really deserve. Mercy. But grace is giving you what you don't deserve. So the analogy would be if I stole Rodney Bowwater's car and it's stealable. It's very lovely. Thank you, sir. And, um, and he found out and I was a stranger. He didn't know me. And the police found out. And then I went to the courts and then Rodney got involved. And Rodney said, listen, we need to let this guy off because he's a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. His life is built on these pillars. He, he says, oh, I'm not gonna charge him, but I wanna teach him a lesson. So the judge says, okay, what, what do you want? He said, I wanna teach him a good lesson. Mercy is he mustn't go to jail. We're not pressing charges. Are you ready for grace? I'm gonna teach him a lesson by grace. You ready? Come to me, son, come up here. The man who stole it walks up to Rodney. And Rodney says, I want to let you know what you did was wrong and hurtful and bad. You shouldn't keep doing this. So let me fix your little problem for a minute. And he hands him the keys. That's grace. And every Christian in the room does a great disservice when you're scared of grace. Every Christian in this room does a great disservice when you think God's only merciful. He's full of mercy. He's decided He won't give you what you really deserve and what I really deserve. What I really deserve is a $400 fine according to Nelson City Council. But God's mercy is I won't give you what you don't deserve. God comes in and goes, I'm gonna build you a massive thing on your backyard, Graham, so you can put your clipping somewhere because you're actually a little bit lazy. Grace and mercy, grace. So, so grace, God came to give you grace. Grace. So what about righteousness? Well, that was the best part of the story out of Paul's Romans 5, 17. Righteousness is explained as this, innocence and right standing. Innocence is funny because none of us are innocent. We've all sinned. But right standing, I think we understand that Jesus died for us to transfer His righteousness to us. I mean, the question is, does Jesus have right standing? Yeah. Does Jesus have innocence? Yeah. The death of Jesus on the cross is to give you and me His right standing before God. And in 2009, I had a revelation of grace and righteousness. I realized that for most of my Christianity, I knew I believed in Jesus. I believe He existed. I acknowledged Him. I asked Him to come into my heart. But a lot of the time I was thinking about behaviorism. I was thinking about what I needed to do to stay accepted. I didn't realize I was doing it, but that's what I was doing. I'll show you really quickly, just really quick. Can um, Livy, can you just pass, or someone just pass um, a bottle, that bottle of water, that'd be really good, and some tissues. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When I um, understood grace and righteousness, it really did change my life. Um, this was me, mistakes and all. It's, you know, it's just who I am. And it certainly wasn't crystal clear. <laughs> there's, some, there's some real issues and mixture. But Jesus knows Zacchaeus and Jesus knows Graham and Jesus knows... Even Sally and Mike, Jesus knows who we are. At the cross, what we don't realize, what Paul is saying and what we don't understand, and we need our eyes open to it, guys, is that Jesus actually came 
is one who was totally pure, totally holy, totally righteous. There was no flaw. There was no error. He was, he was a different kind of man, a heavenly man. This was God's way of saying, I love you. This was God's way of saying, I've come to save you. The greatest lie of 2020, by the way, is that we don't need saving and we're just fine on our own. That is the worst lie you can ever believe. It's not to say that we're worthless as scum. It's just to say that we're not righteous. <laughs> we're not righteous. So what is the cross? What is Christianity? I'll just show you really carefully. Quickly, really simply, you ready? Jesus, holy and righteous, pure and wonderful, known as the Lamb of God, took away the sin of the world and came to cover every single thing that was unrighteous and everything that was unholy and now covered in His righteousness, we stand righteous. You stand, if you are a follower of Jesus, totally and utterly righteous. God sees, when God looks at you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, He sees Jesus. God sees Jesus because He's the holy, blameless, righteous one. And that's why Paul said, if we bring the Scripture back up, to those who receive the abundance of grace, so there's just tons of it. It's Lexus after Lexus after Lexus. It's just like you're never running out of grace with God. But also, what was the language? The gift of righteousness. And, and if I say to Rodney, because I felt real bad about what I did, let me pay you a hundred bucks. I mean, I know they're way, worth way more than that. He's like, no. Well, let me pay you 80. No. 50. We become, you know, in this bargaining thing. You know, many people in this room are bargaining with God. You just bargain with Him all the time. God, I've got this need and it's bad. And if you could do this, I'll do this for you. And He goes, why do you insist on doing when Jesus has already done? Why do you insist on performing when Jesus has done it all for you? And so I say, oh, I'll give you one dollar. And he says, even if you give me a dollar, it's no longer a gift. You might think it is, but it's not. And guys, the gift of righteousness is not a righteousness of your own. It's an innocence and right standing that comes by virtue of placing your trust in Jesus. That is what Christianity is. That is what Christianity is. It's for all the guys who cross the road with the catcher and they're not sure why they're doing it again. And their wife's even told them that if you keep this up, you're going to get a letter. Nah, I'll be right. It's for all those people. It's for all the people struggling. It's for all the people who are, who are, who are aware of their own blemish, their own shortcomings and it's even for those who think they've got it all together because self-righteousness is the worst kind of righteousness there is it is not righteous to be self-righteous we've got to humble ourselves and come that's what Christianity is I'll finish with this that if you look at the word Christian the first two thirds of the word are your biggest giveaway It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about what He's come to do. And it's all about this gift. How many people here are glad that He came to give us a righteousness that would rest upon us? Amen. 
It took me a while to get my head around it. And I just want to say that, that God sees me as Jesus. Uh, when, when I come to Him, He sees His Son. But it didn't really have power until I started seeing that. So I gave my life to Jesus as like a seven-year-old or a, and then again at 17, significantly. But when I was, you know, 28, 29, and I started to say to myself daily, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And trust me, after the lawn clipping incident, I had to say it again. Because it's a little bit shameful, eh? A little bit like, why, do I, why am I so smart in some areas and so dense in others? Like, why is that? And so I say to myself, I'm not sure, but God, I thank you that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And the more I focus on it, see, the more you focus on your behavior, the worse your identity becomes. But the more you focus on identity, the better your behavior comes. Did you get that? The more you focus on your conduct, the worse your identity becomes. But the more you focus on your identity, the better your conduct becomes. And I thank you, Lord, that you're the God who brought grace and righteousness. And I thank you that that's what Christianity is. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just pray for people here today, Lord. What I've said, I just pray you'd say. I pray, Lord God, you'd open people's eyes today. I pray for a revelation. Paul asked that you give wisdom and revelation, and I ask for it too. Don't let us be blind to this. If we miss this, we miss the essence of the gospel. A God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life. If you believe, rivers of living water will flow out of your belly. And I begin to pray that you would just flow in this place right now, right over this building, every seat, every person. You just begin to do such a deep work. There's a couple of things for people. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. There's a few people here, and as I've been talking, it kind of feels like the past, there's a chance you could let go of it. And the chance is real. Just, Just... declaring of yourself. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your righteousness. And you know, if you can if you can capture that, you can capture freedom. And I just declare freedom all over this room. I declare freedom over every heart, every life. I pray as well, Lord, that we wouldn't just relegate these truths back to our original conversion, our original decision. What a tragedy that is to say righteousness mattered when I first believed but to not realize that, God, it matters forever. And I thank you that every person in this room has put their faith in you as righteous, not their own righteousness, but they carry and partake of yours, have inherited your standing and your innocence. Despite being unrighteous, you call them righteous. And this is the radical nature of grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Just with eyes closed, heads bowed, if you're here today and you have never, ever, invited Jesus in and accepted this gift of righteousness, this abundance of grace. You know, it's an amazing thing, eh, to talk about these things and then then it all comes down to one thing. Will you believe? It's like, I don't, it just totally blows my mind. People were asking Jesus, what should I do? And they asked Paul because he began declaring this gospel and talking about it. And they would say, what do I need to do then to be saved? And he goes, oh, you just need to repent and believe. And, and literally repentance, all that means is a change of mind. That you've got to start in your thinking and start going, well, you know, I've lived my life without God this far. And how's that been going? Like if I was really honest, not, not about the job I have or the car I own or the whatever. I'm talking about my soul condition. 
What's my soul like? Really like? And, and, and Jesus says, you can't behave your way in. It was impossible. One person said it was like climbing up to God on a rope of sand. Getting to God is like climbing up to Him on a rope of sand. It disappears every grasp you try to take. And that's why He sent Jesus. Because holiness before that could not mix with unholiness. And look where He is now. He walked amongst us. He died as us. He took our place to put righteousness on us. And today, you're here, you're like, I, actually, you know, I, I need Jesus. I need this righteousness. Maybe you're here today and you've never opened your heart. You've never opened your life to Him. You had preconceived ideas about what a Christian was. Not a person just trusting Jesus for grace and righteousness. It's like you had to, you know, do certain things, behave a certain way. Like, like I said, there's, there's benefits in those things, but that's not the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is to be made a new creation. So all over this place with their eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask for those who want to put their faith in Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to come back to Him, or maybe you grew up in a Christian family but never heard of grace. It was a very ungracious place, a very ruthless place. And it didn't actually reflect the gospel. It didn't reflect Christ on a cross being beaten for our iniquities and transgressions. It didn't reflect that. It reflected something else. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I need, I need Jesus. I need the hope of the gospel. I need forgiveness. I need to be made righteous by grace as a gift, undeserved, unmerited favor. If you're here today and you, you want to come to Jesus, you want to give your life to Him, you want to open your heart up, then I'm going to pray a prayer. No matter where you're at, either for the first time or as a recommitment, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to lift your hand if that's you. You're saying, Graham, include me in this prayer. We'll pray it all together out loud. And I believe something wonderful is about to take place. As you pray that prayer, God is going to respond in a very powerful way. So on the count of three, if that's you, eyes closed, heads bowed. St. Graham, I open my heart, life to Jesus. Pray for me, include me in this prayer to know His forgiveness, to know His righteousness. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. One, two, three. Just lift it up. Lift it up for me. I love to acknowledge it. Yeah, God bless you here. So good. So, so good. Who else here? Just lift it up. That's you. Yeah, I, I need Jesus. So awesome. It's amazing. It's amazing. Others here right now? Others here? Let's just, let's just take 10 more seconds. You're here. You're saying, yeah, I need, need you, Jesus, in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, you can put your hands down and let's pray right now. Everyone out loud, pray after me. Follow this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. He was righteous. I was unrighteous. And He came to give His life for me and to give me His righteousness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I accept eternal life running through my veins. Come and make me a new person by your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen? Come on, let's put our hands together. Amen. That's what Christianity is, guys. And over the next few weeks, we're going to explore it some more. If you've got a friend or family member that you really think would benefit over the next couple of weeks, bring them along. I had a weird dream last night. Can I just finish with this? I've got, I've got a minute. Dan Haring. Um, hey, mate. 
I would never ever try to embarrass you at all or anything like that. And this won't be embarrassing. Um, I had such a bizarre dream last night and then I walked in and I saw you over there and you were in my dream. And uh, it was quite a vivid dream. And I was asking the Lord before what I thought the dream meant because I thought it was just so random until I saw you in the building, which is like a little bit unusual. I don't know if any pastors told you lately they've had a dream about you, but um, I had a dream about you. And I was doing my very best to um, understand what the dream was about. But Lord, I just pray if any of this is true, that you'd, um, that you'd do something with it. So we're going back to my house as a little kid. I went back to Waimea Road. That's where I grew up. And um, I was sort of recounting steps because my mum passed away in October last year. And in my dream, I'm sort of having these childhood memories about my mum and about people in the dream asking me about my mum. Really weird. And um, seeing things in the garage. Dad had this epic garage down on Waimea Road and at all the rooms and, and a very distinctive feeling of not feeling this strong affinity or romance to this house anymore. Because as a kid, I sort of did. I, it was a great place, a safe place. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We built tree huts. And in my dream last night, you appear. And there's a couple of significant things about it that I think are, are worth mentioning. Um, because I know that your dad passed away when you were young. I'm, I know that because I know your brother. But I just feel the significance to say that the things of your childhood and the things of your origins and the things of where you were originally formed are all beginning to change and the romance of it is about to be disconnected over your life. In fact, the romance of it being so super important, it is, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. Where God's taking you, and this was the next part of the dream, are you ready? It's really weird. You owned a whole heap of helicopters. And I have no idea. Like, I, like someone will show me, he owns this helicopter and that helicopter. This actually happened, this dream. It's so weird you're in the building. And I wouldn't have thought about it until I saw you in the building but I just really got a distinctive feeling like God's about to take you up to a place of incredible elevation in Him, of understanding. And, and like, kind of like, wow, opening before you a whole new opportunity. I don't necessarily think you're going to be a pilot. Who knows? But I, but I just, this distinctive significance over your life. And so I, I pray for you right now that, Lord, you would um, unlock anything in Dan that needs unlocking. And you would also supernaturally elevate him because that's what you were saying last night in that dream. And I bless him and we bless him as a church, Lisa as well, and their kids. Bless the work of their hands. Bless who they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on. We trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.